0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. How do you like that, huh? Prayer. Woo! Hey, prayer is this amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, that we have this opportunity as depicted in that film to have a face-to-face conversation with the awesome, almighty, all-knowing, omnipresent creator and sustainer of the universe. I mean, wrap your brain around that, that we can have intimacy with eternity, that we can know the almighty in an intimate way. Prayer is an amazing gift, a mystery, and something that research would tell us that probably 95 to 90% of the globe prays. No matter what religious background you come from, even atheists tend to pray at times, the surveys say. Prayer is this reaching out for something more, this God given desire in mankind. To, to see something and to know something and to be something more than just the material, physical world. There's, there's something more. There's eternity. There's a desire for intimacy with something more that's embedded in our hearts. And this is the mystery and the gift of prayer. We're in a series called God Conversations. And, and it comes from the idea of flourishing. Flourishing. Um, we're we're focusing on our vision statement that God uh, has given us and the elders of our church. It's up on the wall there. It says that our desire is to build a generational community that flourishes in God conversations and the authentic love of Christ. And the words that have captivated us is, is the idea of generational, that God would bless the generations. That's how he works he, he gives grace and mercy and his love from one generation to the next, and we want to see that within our community. We desire to have God conversations both inside of the church, in small groups, and in friendships, and in life, and for that to spill out in our community with our neighbors and friends. And we want to share Christ's authentic love everywhere we go, where we live, we work, and we play. And that is kind of the vision that God has given on our, on our, on our, our church's heart. And, and the key word there is flourish. And so the series that we're kicking off here last week and this week is called Flourish because it comes out of God's heart, not just for our church, but for all of us. Because Jesus, when he came to this planet, he said, let the flourishing begin. The reason he came is that we might have life and have it to to the full. It says, I have come, in John 10.10, that they might have life and have it to the full. Abundant life, eternal life, overflowing life. Captured by the, the Hebrew word shalom, peace, completeness, fullness. A flourishing of justice and righteousness and peace that spills from the heart into the community and into the world. That's God's vision for the world. That's why he created the planet. That's why he put us on that. And that's why he sent Jesus, so that we could reconnect and know that vision in a thriving relationship with him. And he invites all of us, no matter where we've come from, no matter what your religious background today, maybe you're a first-time guest and you you know Jesus and you have a, a life in him and you're looking for a place to connect, or maybe you're a seeker and you're asking questions about God. You're wondering, what, what is this Jesus all about? What is his teaching? And what does it mean to be a Christ follower versus another religious system? Well, Jesus invites us, all of us, to be his apprentices, to be his disciples, to learn a life of flourishing as we submit with him under God's kingdom, rule, and reign. You see, Jesus' good news was not that flourishing happens when you die. So a lot of people go to Christian churches and they think, well, I pray a prayer and I believe in Jesus, and I go to heaven and flourishing starts when I die. That's only half the message of Jesus. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is right now, right here, and flourishing starts today. When you choose to enter into a lifelong relationship with me, when you trust in my name, The kingdom of God comes into your life today, and you can flourish out of that life today. Eternal life begins now here when we put our trust in Jesus' name, and we learn to thrive and to flourish under his kingdom, grace, and love. That's his desire for all of us. That we would flourish. See, flourishing doesn't come from a political system. Thank God for that, right? I mean, is our political system flourishing this last week? It doesn't feel like flourishing to me. It feels like madness and mess and divide and hatred and everybody loses, right? It doesn't come from a political agenda, Jesus said. It doesn't come from the the monetary system, the economy, money or wealth. It doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from the culture. It comes from an intimate, abiding connection with him, with God. And and, and on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave his disciples a vision for flourishing. And what it would mean to have a flourishing life in him. It didn't feel like flourishing to them in that upper room setting because he said, one of you is going to betray me, you're all going to deny me, and I'm going to go to a lonely death on a cross. That doesn't feel like flourishing, does it? That feels like fall, right? It's, the sky is falling, right? My life is falling. We're, we're in the fall season right now, right? And in my, my backyard, I got these trees and they're turning brown and stuff's falling, you know, i got these big pine trees and pine cones are falling down. you got to watch your head because, man, these things will hurt you if they hit you. And so the sky's falling in the backyard, but you know what? In the front yard, my lime tree, it didn't get the memo on fall. My lime tree has, has limes popping out. All, the, my, the leaves are green. There's limes popping out all over the place. My lime tree did not get the memo on fall. And Jesus didn't get the memo on fall either. He didn't give his disciples the memo on fall. Hey, you know what? You don't have to be despairing and thinking everything's going, going down the tubes because our politics are a mess, our economy's up and down all the time, or global warming's going to destroy the planet. Guess what? That's not where flourishing comes from. It comes from an eternal abiding union with Christ and knowing God's eternal grace and love and his plan for your life. It doesn't matter what's happening in our culture right now. It doesn't matter what's happening in your marriage. It feels like it's brown, it's decaying, it's dying. It doesn't matter what's happening because life doesn't come from that. But if you connect with an abiding union with Christ, there can be flourishing again in your marriage today, in your relationships in in your workplace, you can bring a flourishing, you can be that fruit tree that people taste and see the kingdom of God within you. That's Jesus' vision for flourishing. He gave it to his disciples and he says, flourishing comes from an abiding union with me. He used this organic thing, right? Because he was looking at the vineyards and he was saying, hey, If you look at those vineyards and you see the vine and you see the branches, that's a picture of what it looks like to have an abiding connection with me, an eternal union. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, you will flourish. Apart from that abiding connection, you can do nothing eternal and lasting on your own. That's what Jesus said. If you do not remain in me, you're alike. It's like a branch that has no connection, and it's thrown away because your life will wither. Your life will brown, decay, and die without an abiding eternal connection with me. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the life. That's a wasted life. That's a life that doesn't flourish in God. But if you remain in me and my words remain in me, ask, pray, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you look like that lime tree in a dead, dying, and decaying world and that you flourish in the workplace, that you flourish in your neighborhood, that you flourish on the soccer field, that you flourish in your business. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my authentic disciples. You see, Jesus is saying by faith, In him as the true vine, the true life source, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his death for our sins, his resurrection for the gift of eternal life for us, we begin a life of flourishing. We have a permanent union with him. Baptism is a picture of that permanent union. Last week at our six-year anniversary, if you guys were here, was that fun? We, we baptized some folks. It was awesome to see this new life, right? Baptism is a picture of this permanent union in Christ where we are placed into the water, we are placed into his death, and we are placed into his resurrection, and we have this permanent union with him that he, we are in him, but also in He is in us. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Jesus said, it's good that I'm leaving. They were all freaked out. You're leaving. That doesn't feel like flourishing. We need you. It's good that I'm leaving. I'm sending another one just like me. He's not going to just be beside you. He's going to live inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit, the gift of my Father, sending so that we can have an eternal abiding relationship And I can have that with every disciple on the planet Earth forever. That is the gift of abiding. We have this permanent union. We are in Christ positionally, legally. Christ is in us practically through the power of the Holy Spirit every day. By faith, we not only have union, but now we can commune with him. Every day we can have intimate communion with God through Jesus Christ. We can have a face-to-face with the Father because we have this daily communion with Him because we are flourishing in and through Him. And how does that happen? Jesus says that happens through my word. How does God speak to us primarily, right? We open His word. We abide. We connect. We remain. We read the scriptures. We let Him speak to us out of the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever had that experience You know, like those those underliners, those yellow markers, you're reading the scriptures, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes beep and underlines a verse. It's like right from you, right for you, right from God, right for you, right, oh my gosh, this is speaking right to the issue of my life right today. God wants to have an intimate conversation, a God conversation with you on a daily basis through his word, and how do we respond to these words and this understanding that he's We we respond by speaking back to him. We have an intimate conversation. We pray. We we glorify him. We ask him. We, We give petitions to him. We align our lives with him. We trust in him. We know him. We just spend time loving on him and having him love us. This is the vision of flourishing that Jesus gave to us as a community that stays on this planet. That we would flourish. And his fruit would come out of our life. Right? The fruit's of abiding communion, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 4, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? These things will come out of our life and will bear fruit in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our culture, in our world. This is an inside-out transformation, right? It's not outside in. It's not the way the world looks at it. We don't change from outside in. If I just get the right job or I get the right amount of money, if I get the right spouse, then things are going to be right, right? It's always outside in that the world goes at it. Jesus comes from the inside out. Jesus puts that life inside of you, and he works it out in and through you as you abide in his word, abide in prayer, abide in his love. He produces a flourishing life. And one of the main ways he does that in disciples that we're discussing in our small groups this week and in our small group curriculum, Flourish, is the, the, the gift of prayer. Prayer is this wonderful gift that he gave us that we might abide in intimate communion with him. He, as, as a discipler of his disciples, as a rabbi who taught his apprentices to pray, gave them the most famous prayer that's ever been given known as the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, they got up in the morning and many times they looked and Jesus was not around the campfire. He wasn't at Starbucks. He wasn't cooking up breakfast. He went off to a lonely place, right? He went off to a quiet place by himself to have intimate communion with his father. And when they came upon him, they heard him pray. pray. His prayer was not like the religious prayers of the religious teachers of Israel, His prayers, no, no, his prayers were authentic. His prayers were intimate and powerful. His prayers were inspirational and attractive. And so they said, Rabbi, would you teach us to pray? Lord, would you teach us to pray? Just as John taught his disciples to pray. And here is the the prayer that he gave them. One day, Jesus was in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. A little rougher, right, than what you probably memorized, right? That comes out of Matthew 6 from the Sermon on the Mount. Has anybody here memorized the Lord's Prayer? Just raise your hand if if you could say it by rote right now, right? Pretty much most of us can. If you've grown up in the church, you've been a part of of a Christian religious system, you could recite this from rote memory. You know, when you hear it, you stand at attention, it just pops right out of you, right? You know, Jesus didn't give this prayer so it would be wrote to us, so it would be repetitive, so it would be dry, and just something that we just go into, a mantra that we say. That's not why he gave it to us. As a matter of fact, the challenge with this prayer is it's too familiar to us. It's so familiar that we spin it off of our minds, we spin it off of our tongues, and we don't capture the amazing, radical words and the way that Jesus was framing prayer for his disciples. Many times at night, when I can't sleep and I'm anxious or uh, something's on my mind, one of my children, what they're going through, or uh, God brings one of you to my heart, and I'm thinking about somebody who's lost their job or someone who's dealing with cancer, struggling, or, or, or an issue comes up in my mind, like what's happening with the Supreme Court right now. It's just unnerving. And, and I go to this prayer as a pattern. I draw some principles out of this, and I'll use them as a springboard. See, Jesus gave this as, as a pattern to spring us into intimacy with with God the Almighty. And so there's some powerful principles. And as I said in these principles, it springs me, it, it lights a fire within me and I'm passionate about meeting with God and unpacking my heart and understanding what He's wanting to speak to me. And that's why He gave us this prayer so that we would spring into intimacy. We would desire passionately to be with God in a one-on-one and to know Him in an intimate way. And there's some powerful stuff. I just want to pack a couple of the principles out of this prayer that I think are revolutionary. They realign our lives with the idea of what is the kingdom of God and what is God doing right now, right now, right here in my life today. And the first principle of disciple prayer, you know, we call it the Lord's Prayer. This is really the disciple's prayer. And if we want to be discipled in prayer by Jesus This is the way he would teach us to pray. He would teach us to flourish through intimacy with God. Right? That's different than repetition. That's different than rote memorization. That's different than just doing the same thing over and over again. It's intimacy, it's relationship. And, and, Many times we run by this first part of the prayer just to get to the good stuff. You know, forgive me because I'm feeling guilty. Take care of me because I need a job. And you know what? Uh, Just make sure I don't mess things up. You know, we get right to the petitions, right to the asking. Give God our agenda and let's get this thing going, right? And yet the most revolutionary part of this prayer is one little word. One little word that is so familiar to us in American culture, we don't understand how revolutionary this word when Jesus spoke it to his disciples. And it's still revolutionary. If you would speak this word and pray this way in front of a Muslim community, they would look at you and go, why are you praying that way, right? If you, you, if you do this in, in a world where, where you're trying to escape your personhood, where you're trying to get out of your body through reincarnation and find karma, right? You're trying to escape consciousness. To have a personal name for God does not make sense. It does not fit. And yet Jesus said the most revolutionary thing about this prayer is to call God what? Father. Father. Oh, sure. Yeah, everybody calls God Father. No, everybody doesn't call God Father. Father. And if you were a Jew in the first century world, Jesus would say to his disciples, hey, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. They would go, what? You're calling God Father? You know, to a Jew, God's name was so holy, you didn't even say it? God's covenant name, Yahweh, you didn't even say it. There was another name. His name was Abbot Adonai, which means master. You would call God your master, my master, my master, right? That's how a righteous Jew, Jew prayed. You wouldn't say his name because you didn't want to mess it up. He was so high. He was so holy. He was so awesome. His presence dwelt in the holy of holies. He could only be approached on one day, one time a year, right? after the high priest went through all kinds of ritual cleansing and put on the right robes and did the right stuff and walked in with with, with the rope around his leg because if he screwed up, he was going to die. They're going to have to pull him out of there. That's how awesome and awful the the, the name of God was. It was so holy. It was so high. And here's Jesus saying, you know what? I want you to call that same holy high God Abba, (laughs) Papa, Daddy. That was revolutionary. In the Muslim community, Allah, to to call God Father is too low. It's too common. It does not give credence to how awesome and holy he is. You would never call God Father. And this is what is unique about Christian prayer. If you want to know anything that's unique about Christian prayer, it is the fatherhood of God. Jesus revolutionized the prayer movement by saying God is a father. And when you approach God, you approach God in a family way. Not in a transactional way. This is not a religious transaction where you're coming and you're making sacrifices to appease a God with the right kind of mantra and the right kind of things so you get what you want out of God. This is not a religious transaction. This is a relational, authentic conversation with a Father that loves you and wants the best for you. This is revolutionary prayer. It's revolutionary prayer. When you pray, say, Father... You see, the reason we can come before God as a father is because Christianity teaches us that in Jesus, he has adopted us as his beloved children. See, John 1.12 says, to those who receive Jesus, to those who accept his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, to those who accept his death and resurrection, God gives us the right. He gives us the right to become children of God. That means God adopts us into his family, and he makes us his very own. We have a legal standing now before the Father where we can come into his presence as an adopted son or daughter of God. That is revolutionary. It says in the book of Galatians, because you are sons, and the reason it says sons only is because in the ancient world, only sons could be adopted. It's not a chauvinistic thing. It's, it's the way the ancient world worked, right? Adoption was not about taking orphans off the street. It was about sharing your wealth with the generations. And so we could say, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son in your hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Daddy, Father. You see, God has adopted you, and he's put his very spirit, and so now you have this, this relationship that's, that's family-based. And you can call him Papa, Abba, Father. You're no longer, you don't come as a slave, you don't pray out of fear or judgment or, or, or this, this king or this master is going to give me a lightning bolt if I mess up, I better appease him some way. No, no, you don't come as a slave, but you come as a child, a daughter, a beloved one. Because God has made you legally through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He paid for your adoption, he chose you to be his very own. It's not something that a child chooses, right? Adoption is the father's choice. It's the father's act. Many times children don't even know they're going to be adopted, right? Little ones, because some loving parent goes on and says, I want to choose this child. A child is adopted as God's very own. This is amazing. You know, uh, what this commitment means is that a father is saying, I choose to treat my adopted children just like I would treat my natural child, right? There's no distinction, there's no difference. And you know, I have an example of that right in my family system, Ben Appleby, right? Ben and Riley have four natural children and three adopted children. Seven, crazy, right? Four natural and three adopted. You see them, they fill the children's ministry. They, They run all over the place. But you know what's amazing when I spend time with them? There is no distinction. There's no difference. The same love, the same open arms, the same food, the same clothes, the same beds, the same forgiveness, the same healing grace, the same words. I'm your papa. I'm your papa. I'm crew. I'm your daddy. Crew. I love you. Say, I love you. I'm your papa. I'm your daddy. There is no distinction. And if an earthly father can do that for his children, that's the way it should always be, right? But sadly, that doesn't happen. Many times, they're favoritism in an earthly system. But if an earthly, imperfect father can do that, what about our heavenly father? How much does God love Jesus? Right? Infinitely, right? His only son, who came to this planet and The everlasting, reckless love of God. He forged through the deserts, he climbed the mountains, he went to the deepest sea to die for you and redeem you. He gave his life for you to share the Father's love. And God exalted him. He is in the highest place at the right. His name is the highest name, the most beautiful name that will ever be spoken. How much love does the Father have for the Son? Can you even grasp it? Is that crazy? And you know what adoption says? That same love, those same arms, that same acceptance, that same forgiveness, that same grace, that same honor that goes to Jesus goes to you. Goes to you. You're the adopted, beloved one of your father. You are accepted. You're covered with grace. You're holy and blameless. He opens his arms. He welcomes you in. This is revolutionary in terms of prayer. This takes a throne of judgment and changes it into a throne of grace where we come confidently as little children. I mean, who gets to wake up a king and ask for a glass of water? Anybody want to go in and wake up a king and ask him for a glass of water in the middle of the night? You could get your head cut off. You could get shot. You could go to jail forever. But who wakes up a king and gets a glass of water? A little child who says, Papa, Papa, a little Evie, Papa, what, what? Papa, would you get me a glass of water? Oh, sure, well, I mean, I'm going to get you a glass of water. That's the same way. You can come into your Heavenly Father's throne room of grace. This is radical. This is transformational. This is revolutionary. Do you get this? Do you grasp this? You know, sometimes when you're laying in your bed at night or you're, you're on a beautiful place, just close your eyes in that quiet place and say, Papa, I belong to you. Have you ever spoken those words, the Father's words? Have you ever said, Abba, I belong to you? Abba, I'm your beloved son. You love me no matter what I do, no matter what I've done. Do you ever dance with him? Do you ever just thank him for all the goodness he's given to you? Do you let that sink into your heart? Do you let that revolutionary adoption transform you and take you back into the world as a different person? Right? Right? If we really believe this, guys, we wouldn't have bad days, would we? We we wouldn't be worried about what we've gotten or not gotten in the workplace. We wouldn't be scared about the politics. Guess what? Because I'm the beloved child of my Father, and He is good. He is with me, and that's what really matters in life. That's what Jesus wants to root more deeply into our soul. We are his beloved ones. And then all prayer changes out of that. All prayer is different if you look it through the lens of Papa, right? Because if he's a good, good father, then flourishing begins when you align your will with his. Because guess what? Didn't you see the show? Father knows best, right? Papa knows best. Do you believe that? Does Papa know best? Does God know what's best for your life? Does he have the most best plan for your life? Is his word the best thing for you in your world today? Jesus said, when you pray, say, Papa, you know best. When you pray, say, your kingdom come. That's saying, Papa, you know what's best for my life. You're you're the all-knowing, all-powerful, omni-God. Papa, you know what's best. I want what's best, and you know what's best. I want your will in my life. You know it's hard for a child sometimes. I have the grandchildren, they they, they think they know what's best, right? I want sugar, right? Papa, give me sugar, Papa. Papa, can can I can I watch, uh, you know, uh, your your phone? So I don't watch videos on your phone, right? I want to watch Aquanauts till 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 the sun goes down and up again. I want to stay up all night and watch Aquanauts. I think I know what's best. But Papa says, well, you can watch for a little while, but not forever. And I'll give you a little bit, but I'm going to give you some broccoli and some meat too. Because I don't know what's best for your life, right? Papa knows what's best. You know, it's hard when you go to your boss and you ask for what's best and he doesn't give you a promotion. Why didn't my boss give you a promotion? It's hard to go to a king and you ask for a commission and he doesn't give it to you. But when you go to a Papa... It's hard, but you understand because he's your papa, <laughs> and he loves you, and you've, you've had this history of love, and so you trust him even when you don't get it. That's why Jesus in Gethsemane, right? He wasn't alone. He said, "Papa, you know what's best. My father is possible. Let this cup. I, I don't. I don't want to go through this, but not as I will, but as you will. You trust him enough to pray that prayer for your life, for your children, for your marriage." Seek his kingdom and say, Papa, you know what's best in my finances. I'm, gonna, I'm actually not going to hoard all this money. I'm going to give some of it away. You know what's best. You know what's best in my sexuality. I'm not just going to have sex whenever I want to with a consensual adult. I'm going to have sex in the covenant marriage of love. You know what's best. Papa, you know what's best for my finances, Papa. You know what's best for my sexuality. You know what's best for my relationships. I'm not going to take revenge on that co-worker who dissed me and she she got the job. I'm going to serve her and love her because you know what's best, Papa. And you will give me what's best. I trust in you, Papa, because you are a good father. Are you willing to pray that radical prayer and see what happens when Papa gives you what's best? Jesus prayed, Papa, He taught us to pray, Papa, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he taught us to trust. Trust in God's answers, right? Trust in God's provision. God cares for you so much as a father. He wants you to have provision through your physical needs, through your spiritual needs, through your life needs, right? He wants to take care of you. He wants you to flourish That's what this ask is about. When you pray, say, give us each day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation. Jesus said, which of you, when you go ask your father, your earthly father, for a piece of bread, he gives you a scorpion, he gives you a snake, right? That's pretty radical. I've never done that. Most fathers, even though they're flawed, they know how to give good gifts to their children your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to you are you willing to trust in his answers right are you willing to trust that he's going to give you just what you need right not any more than you need so that you become prideful and walk away from him right just think if god just gave you answered all your praise and gave you everything you need if he did that for me i I wouldn't even know him today I'd be a pro basketball player. I'd have so much money, and I'd be the the top of the town. I'd be so healthy and wealthy. I wouldn't even care about God. I'm so glad he didn't answer my prayers to be a pro basketball player because I would walk away from him, and I would not honor his name because I'm prideful and I'm greedy. I'm glad he gave me something different so I could know that he's a good papa but I'm glad that it didn't make me poor. I'm glad he gave me enough so I can enjoy and share it with others. See, that's Papa Pur. I trust that you'll give me my daily bread and give me just what I need. I'll trust in your grace that you have forgiven me so much that I could forgive another person who sinned against me. Do you trust his grace enough to forgive others as he's forgiven you? I trust, I trust in your, your protection that you're a good father and you're not going to lead me into evil, Right? God is not the author of evil. There are other evil wills on this planet, right? There is an evil one who wants to destroy God, right? His name is Satan, and so there are evil things. God's not the author of cancer. God doesn't give people cancer. Cancer happens because of the free will choices that have gone wild, right? Because we've walked away, and so men's choice to walk away from God has taken everything. Our culture, our global world everything's out of kilter, and when we pray, we can align it back in. We can pray for God's will and God's way and bring his life, even through the most difficult seasons like cancer, and trust that he is good, and show other people that he's good. God, protect me from evil. The greatest evil is distrusting and doubting God's goodness. That's what got us here in the first place, right? And so are you willing to pray that prayer this morning? Is he, do you know him as a papa? Or is he just some faraway, distant god? You're trying? Have you ever said, Father, I want your adoption, I want Jesus, I want you to adopt me as my child? Have you ever asked God to adopt you and accepted the gift of his son? Father, I want to trust you that I'm your beloved one. Give me the grace to know my identity in you. Have you ever just sat and said, Papa, I belong to you? you trust him? Do you want his will more than your will? Are you willing to pray this morning, Papa? I want your will more than my will. What a radical prayer. You trust in the job and the place and the provision. He's. I'm content with what you've given me because I trust you, Papa. We're going to come to the table here and, and take communion here this morning. Before we do that, before we remember why Jesus came to give us this intimate life with Papa, that's why he died, so we could have an Abba relationship with the Father, to open the door by grace. And we want to celebrate that today. Before we do that, I want to give you a chance to meet with your Heavenly Father. Maybe this morning it's an identity issue with you, and you just need to say, Papa, I need to know that I'm your beloved one this morning. Maybe it's a trust that you've got. Papa, I'm not trusting with your provision. I'm, I'm just worried and anxious. and I'm worried about the world. I'm just not trusting that you're in control here. I want to trust you. Papa, I want your will. I'm not seeking your will. I love money more than you, Papa. That's my idol, money. Or I love sex more than you do, Papa. Uh, I, I'm taking it out of marriage, and I'm doing it all over the place. I'm out of control with pornography. Papa, I want your will. I want you to take control of my life. Maybe it's addiction. What's the courageous prayer that Jesus is calling you to pray to your Abba this morning? Let's bow our heads. I want to give you a minute and just pray to your Abba Father. Pour out your heart to him. Ask him. Ask him to meet you here this morning and to heal your life in him. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community? or interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.